0: Today our scripture comes to us from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the 13th chapter of Romans, starting with verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment." Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to those whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summarized in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, as we've been walking through this letter to the church in Rome, Paul has been writing to these little house churches filled with Jews and Gentiles all together throughout the city about what it means to be made right, how it is God who makes us right, that our faith is counted to us as the righteousness of Christ. Today, Paul talks about government and our position towards it, how we're supposed to be supporting, honoring, respecting our government. Now, as Christians, we need to be careful of falling on one side of extreme uh, conservative views or another side of extreme liberal views. Right? Because we can't really find anywhere in Scripture where God describes a good conservative government as one that only keeps the law. And we also can't find any socialist or highly liberal side of the scripture that says the government needs to be the savior of all there's a great quote from a preacher timothy keller who says this he says that jesus is not from the left nor is he from the right jesus is from above and let that sink in just a little bit see jesus doesn't conform to our systems of ideas (laughs) He's the author and creator of life. He is the source of all authority. Paul writes this in the very first verse. It's hard to wiggle out of this one. Let everyone be subject, subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that with which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, at this point in time... As Paul is writing, this would be Rome, the the Roman government, And, and not everything the Roman government did was pleasing in the eyes of the Christians by far. In fact, you would do better in Rome if you were wealthy, if you had power and authority. That's just the way it kind of seems to work. And yet Paul is writing with this idea that there's not just one kingdom that we belong to here on earth, but two, that we belong to the kingdom of this world. We, we exist within the context of this world and the governing strategies that, that are here, but we also are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, of the kingdom of God, this concept of the world being put right that exists here and now and will be someday in full. But we live in these two kingdoms, and and over these two kingdoms, there is one highest authority, and that, of course, is God, the King of kings, Jesus Christ, who reigns supreme, sovereign over all. As we think about all of the earthly kingdoms over the course of time that have existed and rose to power and then crumbled and rose to power and then was defeated and rose to power over and over and over again, different different kingdoms in earth were raised up for specific purposes by God. Now think about this. Things just seem to come together at just the right point in time because the Greek empire rose and established this language that was almost universal through the known world. The world spoke Greek as the business language. And then after the Greek empire, the Roman empire comes into power and the Romans were known for their their building of great and mighty roads that spiderwebbed all across the known world. And so now you have means of transportation and now you have means of language and then you have Christ being born in the middle of all of that. So that this gospel message could be spoken in a singular language and travel through roads into territories like fire. See, God does this thing of building up kingdoms and then bringing them down all for his purposes. Now, now the Greek empire and the Roman empire were not Christian friendly, but they were used by God to bring about this Christian message into the world. See, our our earthly kingdoms, we get so tied up in them and assign so much worth and value to them, but they are temporary in light of God's kingdom. They're temporary and yet still used by God to carry out his sovereign will and design. So it's important for us to keep note in our minds that it is not the role of government to be Christian. It's not the role of government to be Christian. The role of government is to protect, to keep peace and order, to serve justice, to give us a system of order in life. And God, no matter who is in office, is constantly calling on us to trust in him, to trust in his sovereignty, that he is over all. Now, Paul says that we are to show honor and respect to our government. Now, what does this mean? That's the right Lutheran question, right? What does this mean? And whenever you have that question, what does this mean? It's good to go back to the small catechism and kind of dig into the answer. What does Luther say this means? And he writes this, how are we to fear and love God? Well, this is really all about the fourth commandment when you boil it down, right? We know the fourth commandment is honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you, but it's not just about moms and dads, it's about everybody that God places in our lives that have authority over us, that we respect our moms and our dads because we respect God. God has put them into our lives to be our parents. God put them there, and so we honor them, we honor God. The same is true with anybody in authority over us, pastors and teachers and all forms of government, that we are to show them honor and respect. How do we do this? Well, we fear and love God by receiving and recognizing parents and all authorities as God's representatives, by honoring them, serving and coming to their aid, by obeying them, by loving and cherishing them on account of their God-given vocations. But what if you have bad parents? What if you have bad teachers or pastors? What if you have bad government? How about then? Like then can you grumble and complain? Then can can you not honor and respect if they're horrible? Well, God says no, you still can't. See... If our parents or other authorities poorly carry out their vocations by God, in faith and obedience, we, in faith obedience to God, need to show and acknowledge and respect the fact that God has put those parents or those leaders or those people in authority in place. Not by accident, not because he did a bad job of picking out parents or leaders, but for a purpose that maybe we don't quite understand just yet. That his sovereignty is capable of using even enemies of God to live out his will in our lives. Remember that promise that God works all things to the good of those who love him? That even means government or people in authority that we disagree with fundamentally. Paul says this, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. I love this. Give everyone due. He doesn't want us to be in any debt whatsoever with those in authority. All of our honor, all of our respect, not holding any back, not reserving any because we disagree with them, but giving them everything, all of it that taxes thing is kind of an interesting thing too bad it's not april 15th (laughs) right and the goal for taxes whenever i do my taxes is to make sure that i i pay what i owe but not one penny more which is a different thing entirely from i want to pay as little as possible right that's a different mindset to pay what i owe but not one penny more Is different from, I want to pay as little as possible. I had a friend one time who told me he was very, very proud. He said, because of all of these different loopholes that he discovered in the the IRS and all of their, their legislation, that he found all these loopholes, that he did not pay a single dime in income taxes. I said, well, that's interesting. I hope the fire department takes their time on their way to save your burning house. See, the government is due the taxes that we pay. Whether we agree with them or not, whether we agree with the percentage or not, they're due that. They work hard. I think very few people, unless you're in government or in public service, you don't understand how hard it is. You don't know what you don't know. And regardless of of what you think or, or believe, God says we are to pay them what they're due, to not hold any back. Don't let any debt be withstanding, except for one, which is interesting that he pulls this one apart from everything else. He says there's one that you could never pay enough of, and that's love. You can never pay enough love. That debt will never be be filled. You need to constantly strive more and more love towards one another. Now, this is hard to stomach sometimes when we don't agree with leadership that is in place, when we don't agree with laws that are being made, when we don't agree with how things are being run or decisions that are being made. So there's got to be some kind of loophole, right? Is there some, some, some exception to this rule that we're supposed to just be honoring our government no matter what? Well, Paul doesn't give us a whole lot of wiggle room in this. And I want you to to put yourselves in the mindset of the, the Jews and the Gentiles in these house churches that are gathering together in Rome. These are Christians in Rome. And not only was Rome just an empire that favored those who were wealthy and in power, but this was run by a man named Nero. And Nero hated Christians with a vengeance. He persecuted Christians like nobody else. Like we don't even understand or can comprehend the level of persecution that was being leveled against the Christians in this point of time. And Paul says, honor them. Respect them. That's the context that this is written into. But then he does have an exception. There is an exception. And it's not if you disagree with them. It's not if you think they're doing a bad job. It's not if you think they're they're a part of the different party, whatever that case may be. The exception is this. Whenever your government commands you to do something that you believe is against the will of God, then you have the responsibility to stand up in defiance. Then and only then. Let me illustrate that. We go back into the Old Testament and you have somebody like Joseph, the guy with the many colors, the coat of many colors. Joseph, he's sold into slavery, goes into Egypt, rises up through Egypt, is essentially the prime minister of Egypt, serving under Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the hater of the Israelites, who turned the Israelites into slaves eventually and he's serving alongside him, honoring and respecting Pharaoh and this would-be evil government against the Jews, God uses putting Pharaoh in place for the purpose of listening to Joseph to provide for Israel during this time of famine and keeps the family alive and even grows the family of God and strengthens it under the rule of Pharaoh. And you have Joseph who disagrees with Pharaoh but serves humbly with respect and honor. And then on the other hand, you have people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only did they exist within an empire that they disagreed with, but one that commanded them to worship a false god. To which they said, I cannot, you cannot command me to break God's law. And they stood up for it. And they refuse to worship the false God and they instead worship the one and only true God. And what do they get for it? They get punished. They get thrown into a fiery furnace. Which lets us know that it's good for us, scripturally speaking, to defy a government that commands us to do something contrary to the will of God. Not the one that permits things to happen. Not one that permits things like fill in the blank of whatever it is that you disagree with that is contrary to the word of God. Not one that permits such atrocities to happen, but one that commands them. One that enforces. That is when we stand up as a Christian body and say, no more. But when you do so, do so knowing that probably you're going to have a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come to government meeting and tossed into the fire and be willing to stand there for it. That is when we disagree. That is when we make a stand. But we are not called in the midst of a government that we disagree with to make fun, to ridicule, to put down, to slander the government that is in office. What is our role when they make decisions that we disagree with, when they make policy that is contrary to the Word of God, not when they, don't, when they don't command us to do these things, but they permit them? What is our role? Our role is to live our life according to the will of God, according to His laws, according to His rule. We do not serve man. We serve God. And we live our lives in such a way that reflect that where we don't do the things that government permits but we know is not according to God's word. We stand by God's word, and we do not waver, and sometimes that means that we are persecuted. But if that's the case, remember this incredible, rich promise from God, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. You will be called sons and daughters of God. So what's our role? How do we show honor and respect? That doesn't also mean that we just roll over and say that whatever the government does is going to be okay. And it doesn't mean that when the government makes a decision that we disagree with, we go, all right, I'm going to support you because Jesus said I had to, but I hate it. That's also not respect or honor. But we show respect and honor through love the way we pray for them, the way we talk about them, maybe even the way we interact with them on a local or state or national level, being a voice of God, speaking truth to them, lifting up the laws of God instead of the laws of man. And we pray. Pray for them. Pray for everybody in a place of authority in your life because God put them there. Thank God for them because you know what, whether you agree with what they are doing or not, God's will is that they be there. That's a trip. God's will is that they be there and his will is being done through them. Praise God for that. That is not something that we should be disappointed in but should rejoice in the fact that God's will is always done, that God is sovereign over every government on this earth. And so we pray. And something interesting happens when you pray for somebody that you disagree with. God doesn't necessarily change them. He doesn't change their minds. He doesn't necessarily change your mind and make you agree with them. But he softens your heart towards them. He makes you see them as a person, just like you. He gives you compassion. He gives you the capacity to show love to them, to honor them, respect them. Now, I think all of the pastors this week, we all drew short straws. (laughs) None of us wanted to preach on this text. I sure didn't. I was the one who wrote this sermon series. I was the one who assigned who spoke to who, but sometimes we have to preach to ourselves. And if I'm honest with you, I don't always do a great job of showing honor and respect to those in authority, especially when I don't agree with them. Paul's words kind of helped pull me around a little bit this week to know that I can do a better job of showing honor and respect through my words, through my attitudes, through my actions and those that God places in authority over me. It's my prayer that maybe the Holy Spirit moves you to do the same. I was very intentional today not to take specific examples of how I've seen other people violate this command. I could have been here all day. Instead, I wanted to think about my own ways. And again, I pray that you do too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Your incredible sovereignty and rule is beyond my own comprehension at how you can use people of all backgrounds, of all beliefs, even enemies of you and your church to carry out your will. What an extraordinary ability you have. Father, we pray that you would grow in each one of us a newfound respect and honor for all those who are in authority over us. Encourage us to pray regularly for those who are in our government and working. We pray that you would give them healing and encouragement and wisdom to make decisions to carry out your will, even if they don't even know that that's what they're doing. Take away any fear or anxiety of ours when someone we disagree with is in office. Allow us the comfort and confidence in knowing that you and you alone are in charge. This world is not radically out of control, but firmly in your hands. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, on the bottom of your note section, there's an opportunity for you to take some notes and put down this particular phrase to help you consider what it is that that you have conversations with about this week and talking about this particular message. So I want you to write this down. How does God's authority change the way you view earthly authority? How does God's authority change the way that you view earthly authority? Use this as a question around your lunch table today or as you gather together with friends throughout the week. To talk about this, it's our desire that you use these phrases or questions to, to prompt more and more faith conversations in your life. That as you do that, the Holy Spirit is at work in you and growing your spiritual formation.